0: Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen's timeless tale of the Dashwood sisters set in Regency-era England. This is the 12th title in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series, plus new episodes at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Sense and Sensibility.
1: Chapter 22 Marianne, who had never much toleration for anything like impertinence, vulgarity, inferiority of parts, or even difference of taste from herself, was at this time particularly ill-disposed from the state of her spirits to be pleased with the Miss Steeles, or to encourage their advances, and to the invariable coldness of her behavior towards them, which checked every endeavor at intimacy on their side, Eleanor principally attributed that preference of herself, which soon became evident in the manners of both, but especially of Lucy, who missed no opportunity of engaging her in conversation, or of striving to improve their acquaintance by an easy and frank communication of her sentiments. Lucy was naturally clever. Her remarks were often just and amusing, and as a companion for half an hour, Eleanor frequently found her agreeable— but her powers had received no aid from education. She was ignorant and illiterate, and her deficiency of all mental improvement, her want of information in the most common particulars, could not be concealed from Miss Dashwood, in spite of her constant endeavor to appear to advantage. Eleanor saw, and pitied her for, the neglect of abilities which education might have rendered so respectable. But she saw, with less tenderness of feeling, the thorough want of delicacy, of rectitude, and integrity of mind which her attentions, her assiduities, her flatteries at the park betrayed; and she could have no lasting satisfaction in the company of a person who joined insincerity with ignorance, whose want of instruction prevented their meeting in conversation on terms of equality. "'and whose conduct towards others made every show of attention and deference towards herself perfectly valueless. "'You will think my question an odd one, I dare say,' said Lucy to her one day, "'as they were walking together from the park to the cottage. "'But, pray, are you personally acquainted with your sister-in-law's mother, Mrs. Ferrars? Eleanor did think the question a very odd one, and her countenance expressed it as she answered that she had never seen Mrs. Ferrars. "'Indeed,' replied Lucy. "'I wonder at that, for I thought you must have seen her at Norland sometimes. "'Then perhaps you cannot tell me what sort of a woman she is.' "'No.' returned Eleanor, cautious of giving her real opinion of Edward's mother, and not very desirous of satisfying what seemed impertinent curiosity. I know nothing of her. "'I am sure you think me very strange for inquiring about her in such a way,' said Lucy, eyeing Eleanor attentively as she spoke. "'But perhaps there may be reasons—' "'Well, I wish I might venture, but, however, I hope you will do me the justice of believing that I do not mean to be impertinent.' "'Eleanor made her a civil reply, and they walked on for a few minutes in silence. "'It was broken by Lucy, who renewed the subject again by saying, with some hesitation—' I cannot bear to, to have you think me impertinently curious. I am sure I would rather do anything in the world than be thought so by a person whose good opinion is so well worth having as yours. And I am sure I should not have the smallest fear of trusting you. Indeed, I should be very glad of your advice how to manage in such an uncomfortable situation as I am. But, however, there is no occasion to trouble you. I am. "'I'm sorry you do not happen to know Mrs. Ferrars. "'I am sorry I do not,' said Eleanor, in great astonishment, "'if it could be of any use to you to know my opinion of her. "'But really, I never understood that you were at all connected with that family, "'and therefore I am a little surprised, I confess, "'at so serious an inquiry into her character.' I dare say you are, and I am sure I do not at all wonder at it. But if I dare tell you all, you would not be so much surprised. Mrs. Ferrars is certainly nothing to me at present, but the time may come, how soon it will come, must depend upon herself, when we may be very intimately connected." She looked down as she said this, amiably bashful, with only one side glance at her companion to observe its effect on her. "'Good heavens!' cried Eleanor. "'What do you mean? Are you acquainted with Mr. Robert Ferrars? Can you be?' And she did not feel much delighted with the idea of such a sister-in-law. "'Oh, no!' replied Lucy. "'Not to Mr. Robert Ferrars. I never saw him in my life, but—' Fixing her eyes upon Eleanor, to his eldest brother. What felt Eleanor at that moment? Astonishment that would have been as painful as it was strong had not an immediate disbelief of the assertion attended it. She turned towards Lucy in silent amazement, unable to divine the reason or object of such a declaration, and though her complexion varied, she stood firm in incredulity. "'and felt in no danger of an hysterical fit or a swoon. "'You may well be surprised,' continued Lucy, "'for to be sure you could have had no idea of it before, "'for I dare say he never dropped the smallest hint of it to you or any of your family, "'because it was always meant to be a great secret, "'and I am sure has been faithfully kept so by me to this hour.' not a soul of all my relations know of it but anne and i never should have mentioned it to you if i had not felt the greatest dependence in the world upon your secrecy and i really thought my behaviour in asking so many questions about mrs ferrars well it must seem so odd that it ought to be explained "'And I I do not think Mr. Ferrars can be displeased "'when he knows I have trusted you, "'because I know he has the highest opinion "'in the world of all your family "'and looks upon yourself and the other Miss Dashwoods "'quite as his own sisters.' "'She paused. "'Eleanor, for a few moments, remained silent. "'Her astonishment at what she heard "'was at first too great for words, "'but at length forcing herself to speak.' and to speak cautiously, she said, with calmness of manner, which tolerably well concealed her surprise and solicitude, "'May I ask if your engagement is of long standing?' "'We have been engaged these four years.' Four years?' "'Yes,' Eleanor, though greatly shocked, still felt unable to believe it. "'I did not know,' said she, "'that you were even acquainted till the other day.' Our acquaintance, however, is of many years' date. He was under my uncle's care, you know, a considerable while. Your uncle? Oh, yes, Mr. Pratt. Did you never hear him talk of Mr. Pratt? I think I have, replied Eleanor, with an exertion of spirits which increased with her increase of emotion. He was four years with my uncle, who lives at Longstaple near Plymouth. "'It was there our acquaintance begun, for my sister and me was often staying with my uncle, and it was there our engagement was formed, though not till a year after he had quit it as a pupil, but he was almost always with us afterwards. I was very unwilling to enter into it, as you may imagine, without the knowledge and approbation of his mother, but I was too young.' and loved him too well to be so prudent as I ought to have been. Though you do not know him so well as me, Miss Dashwood, you must have seen enough of him to be sensible. He is very capable of making a woman sincerely attached to him. "'Certainly,' answered Elinor, without knowing what she said, but after a moment's reflection she added, "'With revived security of Edward's honour and love and her companion's falsehood,' engaged to Mr. Edward Ferrars, <laughs> I confess myself so totally surprised at what you tell me, that really—I <laughs> I beg your pardon, but, but surely there must be some mistake of person or name. We cannot mean the same Mr. Farrar's. We can mean no other— "'cried Lucy, smiling. "'Mr. Edward Ferrars, "'the eldest son of Mrs. Ferrars of Park Street "'and brother of your sister-in-law, "'Mrs. John Dashwood, "'is the person I mean. "'You must allow that I am not likely to be deceived "'as to the name of the man "'on whom all my happiness depends.' "'It is strange,' replied Eleanor, "'in a most painful perplexity, "'that I should never have heard him "'even mention your name.' "'Oh, no, considering our situation, it was not strange. "'Our first care has been to keep the matter secret. "'You knew nothing of me or my family, "'and therefore there could be no occasion "'for ever mentioning my name to you. "'And as he was always particularly afraid "'of his sister suspecting anything, "'that was the reason enough for his not mentioning it.' "'She was silent. "'Eleanor's security sunk.' but her self-command did not sink with it. For years you have been engaged,' said she, with a firm voice. "'Yes, and heaven knows how much longer we may have to wait. Poor Edward, it puts him quite out of heart.' Then, taking a small miniature from her pocket, she added, "'To prevent the possibility of mistake, be so good as to look at this face.' "'It does not do him justice, to be sure. "'But yet I think you cannot be deceived "'as to the person it was drew for, "'for I have had it above these three years.' "'She put it into her hands as she spoke, "'and when Eleanor saw the painting, "'whatever other doubts her fear of a too hasty decision "'or her wish of detecting falsehood "'might suffer to linger in her mind, "'she could have none of its being Edward's face.' "'She returned it almost instantly, acknowledging the likeness. "'I have never been able,' continued Lucy, "'to give him my picture in return, which I am very much vexed at, "'for he has always been so anxious to get it. "'But I am determined to set for it the very first opportunity.' "'You are quite in the right,' replied Eleanor calmly. "'They then proceeded a few paces in silence. "'Lucy spoke first. "'I am sure, I have no doubt in the world of your faithfully keeping this secret, because you must know of what importance it is to us not to have it reach his mother, for she would never approve of it, I dare say. I shall have no fortune, and I fancy she is an exceeding proud woman.' "'I certainly did not seek your confidence,' "'said Eleanor, but you do me no more than justice in imagining that I may be dependent upon. "'Your secret is safe with me, but pardon me if I express some surprise at so unnecessary a "'communication. You must at least have felt that my being acquainted with it could not add to its safety.' she said this she looked earnestly at lucy hoping to discover something in her countenance perhaps the falsehood of the greatest part of what she had been saying but lucy's countenance suffered no change i guess i was afraid you would think i was taking a great liberty with you said she in telling you all this. I have not known you long, to be sure, personally at least, but I have known you and all your family by description a great while, and as soon as I saw you I felt almost as if you was an old acquaintance. Besides, in the present case, I really thought some explanation was due to you after my making such particular inquiries about Edward's mother, and I am so unfortunate that I have not a creature whose advice I can ask. Anne is the only person that knows of it, and she has no judgment at all, indeed. She does me a great deal more harm than good, for I am in constant fear of her betraying me. She does not know how to hold her tongue, as you must perceive, and I am sure I was in the greatest fright in the world t'other day, when Edward's name was mentioned by Sir John, lest she should out with it all.' You can't think how much I go through in my mind from it altogether. I only wonder that I am alive after what I have suffered for Edward's sake these last four years. Everything in such suspense and uncertainty, and seeing him so seldom. We can hardly meet above twice a year. I am sure I wonder my heart is not quite broke. Here she took out her handkerchief. But Eleanor did not feel very compassionate. Sometimes continued Lucy, after wiping her eyes. I think whether it would not be better for us both to break off the matter entirely. As she said this, she looked directly at her companion. But then at other times, I have not resolution enough for it. I cannot bear the thoughts of making him so miserable, as I know the very mention of such a thing would do, and on my own account, too. So dear as he is to me, I don't think I could be equal to it. "'What would you advise me to do in such a case, Miss Dashwood? "'What would you do yourself?' "'Pardon me,' replied Eleanor, startled by the question, "'but I can give you no advice under such circumstances. "'Your own judgment must direct you.' "'To be sure.' "'continued Lucy, after a few minutes' silence on both sides. "'His mother must provide for him some time or other, "'but poor Edward is so cast down by it. "'Did you not think him dreadful, low-spirited "'when he was at Barton? "'He was so miserable when he left us at Longstable "'to go to you that I was afraid you would think him quite ill. "'Did he come from your uncle's then when he visited us? "'Oh, yes, he had been staying a fortnight with us.' "'Did you think he came directly from town?' "'No,' replied Eleanor, "'most feelingly sensible of every fresh circumstance "'in favour of Lucy's veracity. "'I remember he told us "'that he had been staying a fortnight with some friends near Plymouth. "'She remembered, too, her own surprise at the time "'at his mentioning nothing farther of those friends, "'at his total silence with respect even to their names. "'Did you not think him sadly out of spirits?' "'repeated Lucy. "'We did, indeed, particularly so when he first arrived. "'I begged him to exert himself, "'for fear you should suspect what was the matter. "'But it made him so melancholy, "'not being able to stay more than a fortnight with us, "'and seeing me so much affected. "'Oh, poor fellow! "'I am afraid it is just the same with him now, "'for he writes in wretched spirits. "'I heard from him just before I left Exeter.' taking a letter from her pocket, and carelessly showing the direction to Eleanor. "'You know his hand, I dare say. A charming one it is. But that is not written so well as usual. He was tired, I dare say, for he had just filled the sheet to me as full as possible.' Eleanor saw that it was his hand, and she could doubt no longer. This picture—' she had allowed herself to believe, might have been accidentally obtained, it might not have been Edward's gift, but a correspondence between them by letter could subsist only under a positive engagement, could be authorized by nothing else. For a few moments she was almost overcome. Her heart sunk within her, and she could hardly stand, but exertion was indispensably necessary. "'and she struggled so resolutely against the oppression of her feelings "'that her success was speedy and, for the time, complete. "'Writing to each other,' said Lucy, returning the letter into her pocket, "'is the only comfort we have in such long separations. (laughs) "'Yes, I have one other comfort in his picture, "'but poor Edward has not even that. "'If he had but my picture, he says, he should be easy.' I gave him a lock of my hair set in a ring when he was at longstable last, and that was some comfort to him, he said, but not equal to a picture. Perhaps you might notice the ring when you saw him. I did, said Eleanor, with a composure of voice under which was concealed an emotion and distress beyond anything she had ever felt before. She was mortified, shocked, confounded, Fortunately for her, they had now reached the cottage, and the conversation could be continued no farther. After sitting with them a few minutes, the Miss Steeles returned to the park, and Eleanor was then at liberty to think and be wretched. Chapter 23 However small Eleanor's general dependence on Lucy's veracity might be, it was impossible for her, on serious reflection, to suspect it in the present case, where no temptation could be answerable to the folly of inventing a falsehood of such a description.' what lucy had asserted to be true therefore eleanor could not dared not longer doubt supported as it was too on every side by such probabilities and proofs and contradicted by nothing but her own wishes Their opportunity of acquaintance in the house of Mr. Pratt was a foundation for the rest, at once indisputable and alarming, and Edward's visit near Plymouth, his melancholy state of mind, his dissatisfaction at his own prospects, his uncertain behavior towards herself, the intimate knowledge of the Miss Steeles as to Norland and their family connections, which had often surprised her, the picture the letter, the ring, formed altogether such a body of evidence, has overcame every fear of condemning him unfairly, and established as a fact, which no partiality could set aside, his ill-treatment of herself. Her resentment of such behavior, her indignation at having been its dupe for a short time, made her feel only for herself. But other ideas— other considerations soon arose. Had Edward been intentionally deceiving her? Had he feigned a regard for her which he did not feel? Was his engagement to Lucy an engagement of the heart? No, whatever it might once have been, she could not believe it such at present. His affection was all her own. She could not be deceived in that." Her mother, sisters, Fanny, all had been conscious of his regard for her at Norland. It was not an illusion of her own vanity. He certainly loved her. What a softener of the heart was this persuasion! How much could it not tempt her to forgive? He had been blamable, highly blamable, in remaining at Norland after he first felt her influence over him to be more than it ought to be, in that he could not be defended but if he had injured her, how much more had he injured himself? If her case was pitiable, his was hopeless. His imprudence had made her miserable for a while, but it seemed to have deprived himself of all chance of ever being otherwise. She might in time regain tranquility, but he, what had he to look forward to? "'Could he ever be tolerably happy with Lucy Steele? "'Could he, were his affection for herself out of the question, "'with his integrity, his delicacy, and well-informed mind, "'be satisfied with a wife like her, "'illiterate, artful, and selfish?' "'The youthful infatuation of nineteen "'would naturally blind him to everything "'but her beauty and good nature. "'But the four succeeding years,' Years which, if rationally spent, gave such improvement to the understanding, must have opened his eyes to her defects of education, while the same period of time, spent on her side in inferior society and more frivolous pursuits, had perhaps robbed her of that simplicity which might once have given an interesting character to her beauty.' If, in the supposition of his seeking to marry herself, his difficulties from his mother had seemed great, how much greater were they now likely to be, when the object of his engagement was undoubtedly inferior in connections, and probably inferior in fortune to herself? These difficulties, indeed, with a heart so alienated from Lucy, might not press very hard upon his patience. But melancholy was the state of the person by whom the expectation of family opposition and unkindness could be felt as a relief. As these considerations occurred to her in painful succession, she wept for him more than for herself. Supported by the conviction of having done nothing to merit her present unhappiness, and consoled by the belief that Edward had done nothing to forfeit her esteem, she thought she could even now, under the first smart of the heavy blow, command herself enough to guard every suspicion of the truth from her mother and sisters and so well was she able to answer her own expectations, that when she joined them at dinner only two hours after she had first suffered the extinction of all her dearest hopes, no one would have supposed from the appearance of the sisters that Eleanor was mourning in secret over obstacles which must divide her forever from the object of her love.' and that Marianne was internally dwelling on the perfections of a man of whose whole heart she felt thoroughly possessed, and whom she expected to see in every carriage which drove near their house. The necessity of concealing from her mother and Marianne what had been entrusted in confidence to herself, though it obliged her to unceasing exertion, was no aggravation of Eleanor's distress. "'On the contrary, it was a relief to her "'to be spared the communication "'of which would give such affliction to them, "'and to be saved likewise "'from hearing that condemnation of Edward "'which would probably flow from the excess "'of their partial affection for herself, "'and which was more than she felt equal to support. "'From their counsel or their conversation, "'she knew she could receive no assistance.' Their tenderness and sorrow must add to her distress, while her self-command would neither receive encouragement from their example nor from their praise. She was stronger alone, and her good sense so well supported her that her firmness was as unshaken, her appearance of cheerfulness as invariable, as with regrets so poignant and so fresh it was possible for them to be. Much as she had suffered from her first conversation with Lucy on the subject, she soon felt an earnest wish of renewing it, and this for more reasons than one. She wanted to hear many particulars of their engagement repeated again. She wanted more clearly to understand what Lucy really felt for Edward, whether there were any sincerity in her declaration of tender regard for him, and she particularly wanted to convince Lucy, by her readiness to enter on the matter again, and her calmness in conversing on it, that she was no otherwise interested in it than as a friend. "'which he very much feared her involuntary agitation "'in their morning discourse, "'must have left at least doubtful. "'That Lucy was disposed to be jealous of her "'appeared very probable. "'It was plain that Edward had always spoken highly in her praise, "'not merely from Lucy's assertion, "'but from her venturing to trust her "'on so short a personal acquaintance "'with a secret so confessedly and evidently important.' and even Sir John's joking intelligence must have had some weight. But indeed, while Eleanor remained so well assured within herself of being really beloved by Edward, it required no other consideration of probabilities to make it natural that Lucy should be jealous, and that she was so, her very confidence was a proof." What other reason for the disclosure of the affair could there be but that Eleanor might be informed by it of Lucy's superior claims on Edward, and be taught to avoid him in future? She had little difficulty in understanding thus much of her rival's intentions, and while she was firmly resolved to act by her as every principle of honor and honesty directed "'to combat her own affection for Edward "'and to see him as little as possible. "'She could not deny herself the comfort "'of endeavouring to convince Lucy "'that her heart was unwounded, "'and as she could now have nothing more painful "'to hear on the subject than had already been told. "'She did not mistrust her own ability "'of going through a repetition of particulars "'with composure. "'But it was not immediately.' that an opportunity of doing so could be commanded. Though Lucy was as well disposed as herself to take advantage of any that occurred, for the weather was not often fine enough to allow of their joining in a walk, where they might most easily separate themselves from the others, and though they met at least every other evening either at the park or cottage, and chiefly at the former, they could not be supposed to meet for the sake of conversation." Such a thought would never enter either Sir John or Lady Middleton's head, and therefore very little leisure was ever given for a general chat, and none at all for particular discourse. They met for the sake of eating, drinking, and laughing together, playing at cards, or consequences, or any other game that was sufficiently noisy." One or two meetings of this kind had taken place, without affording Eleanor any chance of engaging Lucy in private, when Sir John called at the cottage one morning to beg in the name of charity that they would all dine with Lady Middleton that day, as he was obliged to attend the club at Exeter, and she would otherwise be quite alone, except her mother and the two Miss Steeles.' Eleanor, who foresaw a fairer opening for the point she had in view, in such a party as this was likely to be, more at liberty among themselves under the tranquil and well-bred direction of Lady Middleton than when her husband united with them together in one noisy purpose, immediately accepted the invitation. Margaret, with her mother's permission, was equally compliant, and Marianne, though always unwilling to join any of their parties, was persuaded by her mother, who could not bear to have her seclude herself from any chance of amusement, to go likewise. The young ladies went, and Lady Middleton was happily preserved from the frightful solitude which had threatened her. The insipidity of the meeting was exactly such as Eleanor had expected. It produced not one novelty of thought or expression, and nothing could be less interesting than the whole of their discourse both in the dining parlor and drawing room. To the latter the children accompanied them, and while they remained there she was too well convinced of the impossibility of engaging Lucy's attention to attempt it. They quitted it only with the removal of the tea things. The card table was then placed, and Eleanor began to wonder at herself for having ever entertained a hope of finding time for conversation at the park. They all rose up in preparation for a round game. "'I am glad,' "'said Lady Middleton to Lucy. "'You are not going to finish poor little Anna Maria's basket this evening, "'for I am sure it must hurt your eyes to work filigree by candlelight, "'and we will make the dear little love some amends for her disappointment tomorrow, "'and then I hope she will not much mind it.' "'This hint was enough.' "'Lucy recollected herself instantly and replied, "'Indeed, you are very much mistaken, Lady Middleton. "'I am only waiting to know whether you can make your party without me, "'or I should have been at my filigree already. "'I would not disappoint the little angel for all the world, "'and if you want me at the card-table now, "'I am resolved to finish the basket after supper. "'You are very good. "'I hope it won't hurt your eyes. "'Will you ring the bell for some working candles?' My poor little girl would be sadly disappointed, I know, if the basket was not finished tomorrow, for though I told her it certainly would not, I am sure she depends upon having it done. Lucy directly drew her work table near her and reseated herself with an alacrity and cheerfulness which seemed to infer that she could taste no greater delight than in making a filigree basket for a spoiled child. Lady Middleton proposed a rubber of casino to the others. No one made any objection but Marianne, who, with her usual inattention to the forms of general civility, exclaimed, "'Your ladyship will have the goodness to excuse me. "'You know I detest cards. "'I shall go to the pianoforte. "'I have not touched it since it was tuned.' "'And without further ceremony, she turned away and walked to the instrument.' Lady Middleton looked as if she thanked heaven that she had never made so rude a speech. Marianne can never keep long from that instrument, you know, ma'am, said Eleanor, endeavouring to smooth away the offence, and I do not much wonder at it, for it is the very best-toned pianoforte I have ever heard. The remaining five were now to draw their cards. Perhaps, continued Eleanor, "'If I should happen to cut out, I may be of some use to Miss Lucy Steele in rolling her papers for her. And there is much still to be done to the basket, that it must be impossible, I think, for her labor singly to finish it this evening. I should like the word exceedingly if she would allow me a share in it.' "'Indeed, I shall be very much obliged to you for your help.' "'cried Lucy, for I find there is more to be done to it "'than I thought there was, "'and it would be a shocking thing "'to disappoint dear anna Maria after all. "'Oh, that would be terrible indeed,' said Miss Steele. "'Dear little soul, how I do love her!' "'You are very kind,' said Lady Middleton to Eleanor, "'and as you really like the work, "'perhaps you will be as well pleased "'not to cut in till another rubber, "'or will you take your chance now?' Eleanor joyfully profited by the first of these proposals, and thus, by a little of that address which Marianne could never condescend to practice, gained her own end, and pleased Lady Middleton at the same time. Lucy made room for her with ready attention, and the two fair rivals were thus seated side by side at the same table, and with the utmost harmony engaged in forwarding the same work. The pianoforte at which Marianne, wrapped up in her own music and her own thoughts, had by this time forgotten that anybody was in the room besides herself, was luckily so near them that Miss Dashwood now judged she might safely, under the shelter of its noise, introduce the interesting subject without any risk of being heard at the card table.
0: Thank you for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Sense and Sensibility. This episode was produced by Justin Ecock, executive producer Moses Snymer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Pride and Prejudice, Sunshine Sketches of a Little Town, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Vanity Fair, Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, and The Woman in White. You can help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.